Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Empowered Birth Podcast. Well, this will be the last episode before baby McQueen number four comes into this world. Who knows, by the time that I get this posted, I may have a little baby in my arms and I will be posting updates and hopefully some videos and pictures shortly after birth over on my Patreon for members only. Members will be the first ones to hear my birth story. So if you haven't signed up and you're interested in following along and supporting this podcast, as well as getting a little bit of perks plus be the start of building an amazing community, you're definitely going to want to go to patreon.com slash empowered birth podcast and sign up today. Today, Amanda shares her birth story and it's open and honest about her struggle and healing journey of birth trauma. I'm so happy I got to speak with her about this topic because Her trauma had come in the third stage of pregnancy, and we just don't hear about those stories very often. This is a story of not being listened to and the consequences and trauma that happen when the medical system fails to listen. This is an emotional episode, so just a warning, if you're pregnant right now, you may want to skip this one. Amanda shares one of the most helpful tools that she has used to overcome PTSD, This is such a powerful episode and you're not going to want to miss it. So let's get into the show. Welcome to the Empowered Birth Podcast. I'm Alan McLean, registered nurse, home birth doula, and former feminist. My mission is to guide you into the freedom that is God's design for femininity, birth, and motherhood. There's a movement happening of powerful women uniting around finding out God's best for us. You're going to find information here that you won't find in your basic childbirth education class. You'll hear stories of women and birth professionals who are experiencing the redeeming experience that birth can be. You're going to get all the information you need to confidently navigate your way from pregnancy to postpartum and beyond. Are you ready to go on a Holy Spirit-empowered adventure? Then stick around. You're exactly where you should be. Hi, Amanda. Welcome to the show. I'm really excited to do this interview with you today. I just feel like everybody has a story to tell, and yours is so important as well. So I know there's going to be so many people that get a lot of value out of what you're going to share with us today. So before we get into the show, would you just do a quick introduction? Who are you and what do you do? Okay. Thanks so much, Allie. So yeah, like you said, my name's Amanda. I live in Kansas. I'm a mama too. And I was a OB nurse that worked in a rural hospital, kind of a small hospital. You know, I was trained in labor and delivery, postpartum. We had a level two nursery. And so, you know, instead of kind of your, your bigger hospital where you kind of have your specialty and you stick to that, I mean, I've been trained in all of it. So I quote unquote retired the beginning of the pandemic for a multitude of reasons, but I would say the primary reason was, yeah, my first birth, the trauma that ensued and then having to return back to that place of trauma after maternity leave and just, you know, the healing that I had to do to really 
yeah, really get my physical health, my mental health and just spiritual health all back together. <laughs> Cause yeah. I kind of, you know, yeah, was left in pieces after that first birth. Totally. So yeah, that's what we are going to kind of go deeper in on today. So I just want to do a quick warning to those of you who are like currently going through birth trauma, PTSD, just it is always kind of a triggering thing to hear other people's stories. But also on the other side of that, like know that you're not alone. I mean, I too have been through this and I was so thankful to know that the feelings that I was experiencing were not abnormal and I wasn't crazy for being traumatized about my birth. And there's just so much that comes along with trauma and um, those physical responses to that. So Mm -hmm. would you mind just sharing a little bit about your first birth story. What was traumatic about it? And where have you gone from there? Okay. So like I said, I was a nurse well before I ever even started planning to conceive. We had been married a long time. You know, we of course, you know, had, you know, gotten all the questions like, when are you having a baby? And, you know, we were just fully content, you know, traveling and doing things as a couple. So we were married for about seven years before, you know, we even tried to conceive. Conception was not hard. It was kind of that conscious conception, you know, of like all the prepping and planning and definitely was not, you know, a surprise baby. But I felt like going into pregnancy, I had worked to the space, at least the space that the majority of moms deliver in, you know, in the hospital long enough that I was like, you know, I think I, I know everything. <laughs> like I know who my provider is going to be. I know I want the low intervention birth. Cause I always was, you know, more of that low intervention as little bit of Pitocin, you know, as needed. I kind of was the nurse in the hospital that, got a lot of pushback from doctors by not like pushing the pit fast enough and turning off Pitocin and not telling them. And just like, you know, really being cognizant of what we're doing to this laboring mom. And I could tell within, you know, a year I graduated nursing school, went straight to OB and I could see like the cascade of interventions. I mean, this was in like 2013, you know, and nobody like it wasn't really talked about like it is now. And I just, I remember like, I did not want to be that person. I didn't want to have an elective induction at 39 weeks and have a two day labor with Pitocin and an epidural and hours of pushing and a potential surgical birth that, you know, led to a NICU stay and breastfeeding problems. Like (laughs) I just, wanted to avoid that at all costs. So I had a pretty uneventful pregnancy. I chose a family doctor who I knew would let me do what I wanted. (laughs) And so I would say the pregnancy went great. And really, honestly, like even up to delivery and even after my baby was born, super empowering. And I think that that's what can get tricky is like, you can have parts of your birth be empowering and then parts of your birth still be traumatic. And, you know, there's, we can't control it. Like, it's just how our brain gets wired or rewired, you know, in those situations. And so, you know, I had a very fast precipitous birth for a first time mom, which is not very common. 
I was overdue. I think I went to 41 in a couple days, you know, and there was some question on whether or not, you know, I was actually that far along based on ultrasound and period dating. So yeah, like I went into labor spontaneously. I went to the hospital at I checked myself at home. (laughs) People always are like, how did you do that? And I'm like, when you do family, like natural family planning, you learn to know like what your cervix feels like and what your body feels like down there. And I had checked literally thousands of cervixes in my lifetime. And so it, it was not like foreign to me, but anyways, I had checked myself at home and I was only like two centimeters, but super, super thin and already having like the urge to push. And I was like, I can't go to the hospital, you know, like two centimeters and just thinking that it was going to take forever. Well, now like I was at the hospital for a little over an hour and then my first was born. Did not push long. I had a second degree tear that, you know, needed repaired, but my issues started with my placenta. It just you know, would not, would not release. And so I started hemorrhaging. We didn't do a lot of active management for her. You know, I was repaired, you know, with the placenta still in there. And then I just started bleeding pretty heavily. And so then we knew that we had to be a little bit more proactive at getting that placenta out. So where the trauma really probably started was yeah, my third stage of labor. And a lot of people don't talk about that. They think it all has to do with labor and like pushing the baby out or, you know, maybe just complications that arise during labor. But like the third stage is very important. And, you know, I had done trips to Guatemala and Central America and, you know, I'd heard stories of moms dying without any type of way to get help or intervention in that space. And so I probably had quite a bit of trauma that I didn't realize needed healed, like before I got pregnant. And so there was, you know, your normal like anxieties, but it was, yeah, that feeling of impending doom and not being heard. And so immediately after my first, you know, in my repair and then the bleeding, which, you know, you don't really know, you don't really feel when you've got the baby on your chest and I was still bonding with her, you're not always aware of what's going on down there. Even though I was unmedicated and could feel everything, you know, I didn't really know like how much blood loss I had already, already lost. My doctor had to do bimanual removal attempts. And if you aren't familiar with those unblocked without any type of epidural is like excruciating, like, (laughs) You like they're literally in there, yeah. like up to their elbows, basically, you know, trying to get whatever fragments or pieces are left behind. And I just remember you can't hold still, like you can't, I'm like crawling off the bed, screaming more than I did, you know, when I had my baby, because again, this, this pain, you know, is not natural pain to have, you know, when you have a contraction and you're, you've got the ring of fire and, you know, you're pushing the baby out. Those are all very like physiologic things that your body goes through, but like by manual removal attempts, like that's a foreign thing that should not have to be felt. And so that kind of was, I think the start of it, because then, you know, your body's like put into that fight or flight response. And I had a pretty good mindset in labor and like the birth process. Yeah. You know, I was scared. It was my first time. Like, but I had seen moms, you know, have babies. Like I knew what was coming 
And so the pain from the bimanual removal attempts was a huge piece of it. But then what happened was, you know, my placenta came out in pieces. You don't have that picture perfect placenta, you know, of pulling it apart and seeing the sack and like, you know, this is the side the baby was in. And this is the side that was attached to you. Like mine was literally just shredded up into fragments. And as a nurse and a postpartum nurse and knowing like postpartum warning signs, I had this feeling that like, how could you be sure that all of it was out? And, you know, my doctor, you know, reassured me, you know, like she told me, she was like, I can a hundred percent tell you that all of the placenta is out of you, which fast forward, you know, was not the case. So she consulted the OB, like I lost about, I think 1800 that first time. So that was like, you know, the first few hours after delivery, they had not been doing measurements, you know, they had not been weighing the pads. So it was all kind of like just guessing. I look back at pictures and I was just no color to my face. (laughs) I feel like symptom wise, and I, I throw in medical stuff because that's just how my brain works. You know, yeah. Allie, are you a nurse? I can't. Yeah. Yeah. I am an RN. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to say for our audience's sake though, would you tell them what would be like a normal blood loss? Yeah. So for a vaginal delivery, anything over 500 mils or yeah. Well, I mean, we measure in mils or CCs, you know, however you want to do it like that. It's the same that's conversion. Awesome. And I believe cesareans, you know, they, they factor in like another 500. So like Mm -hmm. anything over 500, you know, they usually implement like a postpartum hemorrhage, like protocol and anything over a thousand for a cesarean, same thing, you know, and they had done Pitocin. I told them, I was like, do not give me Pitocin unless I need it. (laughs) Like I didn't even want postpartum pit. And of course, who knows how many bags of Pitocin I got. I think they ended up doing some side attack rectally. And, but because my bleeding like stopped after that, like looking back, I can, and again, it, it took a lot of healing to like see like, yes, the bleeding stopped. My fundus was firm. You know, there was no need to like really go and investigate any further because most of the time you would have some other symptoms still surface if there was concern for retained fragments and, you know, pieces, but there is still just like this weird feeling like internally of something does not feel right. And I verbalized that to, you know, my doctor, I verbalized it to the OB that was consulted. You know, this was after like probably at least six removal attempts and every single time, you know, it was terrible. I was like, no more after this, take me to surgery. I want to be at this point. I was I need an intervention. Like, you know, I, it was one of those things. It was just like, looking back, I was just so angry. They didn't even consider doing an ultrasound to check and make sure that everything was out. And so what ended up happening was I stayed in the hospital. I ended up getting two units of blood. (laughs) And then I think I got discharged within 48 hours Cause again, I was like a nurse. I knew how to take care of a baby. Breastfeeding was going fine, but I just felt, I didn't know how I was supposed to feel. I just, the only thing that I could describe it as it was like when I did sports and I was out of shape and you have all this like lactic acid built up, you know, just achy and, you know, just sore everywhere. That's how I felt. 
And I had a super low grade fever, like not even your textbook fever that would like send you back to the hospital, but I got discharged home and I just, I kept passing weird tissue, like, but small enough. I was like, is this a clot that like, it just kind of like tiny little blood clots, but if they sat in the toilet long enough, the blood would come away and there, there was some sustenance yeah, to tissue. tissue. It yeah. wasn't just blood clots and blood loss. And I, I called two to three doctors in the 24 hours that I was at home. And I was like, look, this is happening. I honestly don't even know at this point, like my professional nurse brain was gone. And I was just like this mom suffering and like not knowing what was wrong with her body, achy, some low grade temps of like 99, 100, but it took me passing a huge piece of membrane in my bathroom at home to realize not all of it was like taken out of me, but it was promised. And so then I went to the ER and yeah, they did the ultrasound and confirmed that there was like a thumb sized piece of tissue, like tiny piece of tissue that was causing all of these problems. And thankfully, you know, my blood work looked okay. Like it didn't look like I had sepsis or any type of like infection that was system wide at that point. But then, yeah, I got finally my DNC that I begged for a few hours after birth. It was then see Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, three days later, and my milk came in like normal. And so again, like all these gray areas of like, you know, what we tell moms to look out for postpartum, like there wasn't anything that was very, very obvious, except like this intuitive knowing that like something just didn't feel right. So after my DNC hemorrhage again, I think I lost another like 1500, got two more units. And that, I mean, that was that, like I woke up in, in the recovery room feeling like your body feels after you've had a baby empty. I don't know, like even how to describe it, but it was like, I just felt for the first time, okay, I'm going to live. Everything is out of me, even though like my hemoglobin was, you know, who knows what, like mm-hmm, six mm-hmm. first time I went home. So the first, uh, no, it was, yeah. After my second admission, my second discharge, there was some lapse in communication and my hemoglobin was below seven. Doctor wasn't notified. I had already taken out my own IV. I was like ready to leave. And I'm like, no, not putting another IV in me, not getting any more blood. And I just left. And so like, you know, weeks later, I'm still, you know, building up my iron stores and downing the, the salads and pumpkin seeds and like everything that had iron in it that I could, but took a while. Yeah. So there's a couple of things that I just want to point out from your story is, wow, mother's intuition is huge. Mm -hmm. And all of the trauma stories that I hear, they have some part in there is a mom has an intuition and is not listened to and it's that not listening that is more traumatic yeah than the actual thing and so got goosebumps you say it and it is it's like I can look back and like all the blood loss and yeah the pain that was with the removal attempts but like what I fixated on then for the next 18 months of my child's life was I was not listened to and, you know, like my life was not like worthy enough to like even, you know, like kind of take a pause and like maybe actually 
do something that is like out kind of outside of like your normal like protocols yes and I think that that again too is such a good point is like there's so many different protocols set up that when a woman enters into the system she goes from a to see like through her you know like the it's like the I don't know like herding cattle yeah yeah it's a conveyor belt yeah Yeah. it's a conveyor belt of this is just what you do and it's if that protocol gets threatened a lot of times women just get ignored because it's a lot easier to go with your protocol than to look at the bigger picture and say you know what this mom is saying this maybe we should do a little bit more investigation and there's so many moms who have lost their lives because they were not listened to I'm trying to think of her name I think her name was Kira I need to find that story again but essentially she started she was not feeling good after her c-section and there was starting to be like blood in her, in her, um, what was it? The abdominal wall. And it was a cat. Well, no, it was her catheter. She started oh. to see blood coming mm. and they kept telling the doctor like, this is not okay. Like, you know, and it took forever to get somebody to just listen to them. Yeah. And by that time it was too late and she had already passed, but, or she passed in surgery. I need to look at that story again. I'll post it in the show notes so well, we all can get so it another right, it's amazing like just like the full circle of things when I was in my third trimester there was a college co-worker not associated with like our hospital and our um my nursing program she just this was in junior college I worked with her on campus and she I like saw an obituary come through this is my third trimester and I just she was two months postpartum. And I was like, I I know exactly. Like it didn't even say like in her obituary, but I was like, this is what happened. Like she died from a a postpartum complication could guarantee it. I did not find out until probably a year out from having Nora that she died from what I went through. So she had retained placenta. She had gone to an ER six, at least six times with abdominal pain and never was taken seriously. And yeah, she went septic and she passed. I was so fortunate. And it was like another piece of my healing. And I've like, you know, donated to like some different things, like in her honor, even though, you know, the family doesn't really know me, but what happened was small world, weird synchronicities that like were so important in my healing was I just happened to go to, you know, one of the cities where she lived, I was getting a facial. The esthetician married her husband and was now the mom to this baby. I literally thought of them every single day, like postpartum, like just. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot. Yeah. But it was that, it really was like that thing that I needed to see that this baby that didn't have a mom like survived. Like, yeah. As awful as, you know, that is, you know, then this other mom like kind of came in and like was still raising that child like as her own. And, but yeah, it's just, it's so frustrating because it's like, you know, we can see how like life pans out like post-trauma and like post just awful things that, you know, you question like, why did this happen? 
And then you see like the things that occur because of the trauma and because of the awful things. And that's where like the spiritual healing like really became important because I was like for months, a year and a half, like it took me (laughs) 18 months again. Like I haven't even like kind of dove into the, the trauma healing piece that I needed to rewire my brain because it was talk therapy just, you know, brought all these emotions up. Like I couldn't even tell my birth story without just, you know, being like I am right now, but a lot earlier, like in the story process, like it just, you were back in that space. And that's like another part that I carry forward, like in my birth doula work and postpartum doula work is like, you can't talk your way out of trauma. Like that's why like trauma informed therapy is so important. And I think why just like so many people don't find like true healing from it, but yeah, anyways, it was like the beginning of the pandemic that I finally advocated enough for myself. I sought out this therapist that did accelerated resolution therapy. I mean, this is after yeah, 18 months of thinking about my birth every single day, if not like hour, you know, just stuck like in that, in that moment and nightmares and not eating and just this constant fight or flight, like not being able to regulate your nervous system. And it took one or two sessions and it was like the weight of the world was like lifted off my shoulders because that's like what some of this trauma therapy does is just rewire these networks that are in your brain. You can't fix it. There's nothing that you can do to like just will your way back into like not being traumatized. (laughs) Like, you know, no amount of like meditation and talk therapy. And I mean, I changed my diet. Like I was eating anti-inflammatory. I was taking, I had tried like all these like alternative, like tried to heal like from the inside out, but it was like, my brain just needed help. (laughs) And that's what accelerated resolution therapy does. It's becoming more well-known. It's very similar to like EMDR. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Mm Kind of looks a little scary, not scary, but like, it looks like you're getting hypnotized basically. And I'm not very familiar with like hypnotherapists and hypnotherapy. Maybe it's very similar, but basically what they do is with rapid eye movements, which you're supposed to be able to do when you sleep, when you hit REM, your brain heals and the lymphatic system does its wonderful magic. Mm -hmm. Like when you're traumatized, you sometimes can't even get into that deep enough sleep. And especially like being a mom and breastfeeding and having a baby come up, sleep deprivation can play into postpartum mood disorders as well. But anyways, I've done enough sessions now. It, I can kind of like explain the process if you want to go down. Yeah, that route. please do actually, because I know then one of the number one healing things is EMDR. So mm-hmm. I love hearing more about yeah. how other people have healed and what their process was like. So if you want to go into some more detail about that, we'd love to hear mm-hmm. that. So basically what they do is, you know, they use my therapist use her finger and basically, yeah, just does movements like side to side and you follow it and you get the rapid eye movements going and your body naturally brings up like what's closest to the surface. And so, you know, if it's a trauma and kind of when you go in, you talk about it, some of that's like kind of already there ready to be worked on. And 
you literally like after, you know, so many seconds of these rapid eye movements, you either start having kind of these visions or like, you can have some like physical symptoms, like start coming up. Like I, everything was in my throat. Like I just always had like this tension in my chest and my throat. Like I felt like I was just being suffocated. And after so many seconds of that, like those sensations come up and you actually like hyper-focus on those sensations and you almost want them to get worse, like for another few rounds of these rapid eye movements. And when you do that, you're kind of like forcing your body into a full like fight or flight. Like, cause you know, we can always like kind of back away or like shy away. And then, you know, we just shove everything down farther and farther and farther. But this like really kind of provokes a lot of that coming out. And then, you know, they just, they make you focus on the physical symptoms or sometimes, you know, the emotional stuff come up, emotional things that would come up. And then if you get stuck and like, you can't see positives with those sensations, you kind of rewrite the story or you kind of metaphorically package it up and like literally change it. And it's all just being done internally in your brain. But like, that's what I, I loved about it. It's like the memories are still there. The point is not to just erase the memories. It's just to make them subtle enough that you don't have the physical reactions or like the really emotional outbursts or it's like tamed down. And then you kind of like rewrite your story. So it was, I remember one of the visuals like at the end, you know, cause our therapy session was wrapping up. <laughs> And she was, the vision that I kept having was me passing this piece of placenta in my bathroom. And like that part was very traumatizing in the beginning. It was like, I knew this was not supposed to be coming out of me, like how dangerous this was. And so the fact that I was alone in my house, you know, with a new baby, thank God my sister was here (laughs) and she's an ER nurse. And so like her being here, witnessing that, then she's going to take that for her entire career. If she has a mom that comes in and has just had a baby, like she then will know that this is not normal and this is what needs to be done. But back to the therapy session, it was like, I, instead of, you know, in my, I don't, I don't know what I, I even call that time in my life anymore. It was like, I had thrown this piece of placenta literally down my bathroom sink and was just throwing f-bombs everywhere just screaming I was like I knew it and you know so that was like just a very a time in my life like I did not want to remember anymore and so in my therapy session with the rewriting I literally like I planted that piece somewhere and something grew from it and so like very you know you can do whatever you want and your therapist kind of helps you like package this up. And, you know, so I, I ended up transforming that memory into like a gift and then something grew from that, either a learning experience or whatever you end up doing. And it just, it was just amazing. I just, I walked out like just feeling like free for once. It was, it was amazing. And so so powerful. Yeah. And so like, depending on like how many of those memories like surface or like, you know, how severe, like the physical symptoms are with the trauma accelerated resolution therapy, they say is like, you know, one session is about the same as like eight to 10 EMDR sessions. And another weird synchronicity, I only knew about this therapy 
because I was working at the hospital. We had triaged a mom that was having suicidal ideations in pregnancy. And I literally watched this happen, like as a nurse to this, this um, patient. And I was like, oh man, you know, I need this just for like work-related trauma. Like before I was ever pregnant, before I ever had any babies. And like, because of that experience, I knew that is what I needed to finally heal. Like, because I'd done all these things, was not getting anywhere. I refused. And again, this is like kind of a controversial topic, but the same with medications. SSRI is not going to fix your trauma. No, it's trauma related. Mm-hmm. It is. And I was like, I'm not for this band-aid approach that, yes, like I want moms to be healthy and I want them to be mentally well, but I mean, what you're going to be on your, your anti-anxiety or antidepressant med for five, 10 years. And then you wean off and you're just back to square one. Like you haven't uprooted all the trauma and done the healing. And like, we know now, like so many moms are traumatized by birth. And it it makes me wonder like how much of it is actually trauma-based and how much of it is actually, oh, our hormones are just, you know, out of whack. And like, if it was truly hormonal, every single pregnant person would have Mm -hmm. the same experience. Like our hormones, like when the placenta is delivered and, you know, the progesterone drops and the prolactin and the oxytocin increase with breastfeeding, like generally speaking, like your hormones are pretty like, you know, they follow a trajectory, you know, when you're pregnant and then, you know, when you're breastfeeding. And so it, it really was like kind of this, I knew again, it was like a gut instinct of like this pill, even though I went and filled it and never put it in my mouth, like was not going to fix the issue. And I'm glad I'm super stubborn and just, you know, kept, kept searching, but I'm frustrated, you know, that it even took me 18 months to find somebody because then who's to say like, there's moms traumatized decades after their birth, after this story and me like kind of sharing my story. I've now, you know, come across like moms about to retire, like they're retiring. They're like in their sixties and they're like, they look back and they're like, you know what? Like, I think probably this played into my divorce and like why, you know, I'm no longer married to my, my husband of, you know, my children and whether or not it was trauma or just generalized anxiety or postpartum depression or OCD or whatever, you know, was kind of packaged up into the PMADS diagnosis. It just, it, it really makes me just sad for like so many moms. And so I was just like, I can't help people in the hospital. Like I'm here 12 hours and I never see these moms again. And so I'm just like a lot more, I used my story. It was kind of like, and I wasn't happy where I was like, you know, I hated fighting doctors and like, just feeling like I was contributing to some trauma at times. And I, it was like kind of the kick in the butt that I needed to get out of the hospital. It's like, Oh, here, here's PTSD. Like get out of the hospital. Cause you're not supposed to be here. But yeah. Yeah. That's why this story is so important. Like for those reasons is so many moms actually aren't connecting that the way that they're living their lives or the decisions they're making or Mm -hmm. what they're feeling could be contributed or could be contributing to like the 
issues that they had during their postpartum or during their birth or like some sort of trauma that had happened is really impacting their life today. And that's why, I mean, I'm doing what I'm doing too. And I, I know so many birth workers actually get into this because of either secondary trauma that they've seen or because they've experienced it firsthand. And we just don't want that to happen to anybody. And so I know, I mean, we're similar in that way. It's like, if we could prevent one person from experiencing trauma like we did, you know, we will have done our jobs. And so spreading the word on this and how to get healing and just knowing that there's hope, you can go to therapy. There's so many different things that you can do and everybody's going to have their own healing journey, but like start somewhere, you know? And so this is something where I don't know if there's a listener out there who's just like, this is going to be my starting point. Like Mm -hmm. I might first, you have to identify I was traumatized and that in and of itself is a hard realization to come Mm -hmm. to because nobody wants to admit that the best day of their life was also the most dramatic. Mm -hmm. That's just not something any mom wants to admit. And so I don't know. It's just something like I'm super passionate about too, because like after my very traumatic birth. I couldn't even drive past the hospital. I was having panic attacks. I was like considering divorcing my husband, like you were saying. And it's like mm-hmm. all of these decisions in life are happening because of a trauma. Yeah. So what can we do to reverse that? And I just want to hear a little bit about your next birth. So how mm-hmm. hard was it to get pregnant after experiencing a trauma? And what was different this time? How did you process things like during pregnancy? Mm-hmm. Just what was that like for you? So because of how that's just the timing of it all, you know, I was 18 months postpartum by the time I found someone that did art therapy, you know, and that was after a month's talk therapy and you know, seeing my primary and, you know, trying to do the functional stuff and didn't make any headway. And so I had worked through like basically all of the birth trauma and like hospital work type traumas that I carried. I mean, I was doing child, like then, you know, it's just your body just keeps bringing stuff up. And so then, you know, we were doing art sessions on childhood stuff. And so I was still like in contact with my therapist and had like an open chart and was seeing her, you know, even if it wasn't like monthly, it was like every other month, just as like a check-in. And at this point I was still like, where's my life going? I had like a full identity crisis when I realized I can't be a hospital nurse anymore because in our rural area, like there's nothing really else for me to do. I knew I still wanted to support moms and babies. And I'm like, this is the only place that I can do that. And so I was commuting an hour and a half one way to work at a birth center, which was amazing. I only worked there six months, but like just seeing, like, even though, you know, I had seen unmedicated birth in the hospital and I love supporting moms unmedicated, but like, it's just different. Like in a birth center, you don't have anesthesia and, you know, OBs, you know, just casually, you know, waiting around for, you know, the mom to give up. And so I had a ton of healing births there just for me, like professionally, like seeing moms, you know, have super empowered out of hospital births. My sister had a home birth when I was pregnant, wasn't there for the birth, but like, and so really like the only home birth experience I had was my own besides my sister's, which again, I didn't even make it in time. So it kind of was like the stepping stone. So I did not think I could 
get pregnant again. I just was too terrified of more the postpartum. It wasn't even like the birth, like, cause I worked through all that, but it was getting back to the point where I was just like, I thought that's how it would be. Like, I thought that the same postpartum trajectory would be the way it was with my first, you know, just traumatized, dissociated. I mean, I got to the point where I had suicidal ideations and wanted to admit myself into an ER, but I did not want to be separated from my baby. And so I knew like what that process was going to look like. And so honestly, when we got pregnant, it was unplanned. The first two weeks of knowing I was not in a good like mental space. And I don't like, it's taken a lot of, again, just grace for me to even acknowledge the fact that there was a short time where I was like, do I want to keep this baby? Cause it was just this trauma response of, I can't go back to that place of like wanting to kill myself and wanting it impacting my husband and my daughter. And so while I think every single baby's life is important, I think we have to recognize that a lot of, and again, more controversy, a lot of this abortion talk, it's always rooted in trauma. And if we're not healed and we don't see a path out, like that's why babies are still going to be aborted. I did not abort my baby. Thank God. Cause she is seriously, you know, she was just the first words out of my mouth with her was, was I fucked up. Like I told my husband, I was like, I fucked up. And he was so calm and just reassuring. And he was just like, you know, sometimes like the choice is not ours. And so we moved forward. I did a lot of therapy with my, my art therapist, a lot of just recognizing that it was a trauma response. And it wasn't that I wasn't going to love this baby and we weren't going to be able to take care of it. And, you know, all of the things that can go into, go into trauma and, you know, thinking how our life will change. But the pregnancy again was super uneventful. I found a midwife practice that was very just understanding her, the midwife I chose. And again, it was just like what needed to happen. I was very lost, like spiritually, they were like more Christian based. And I was like, I want to go to a Christian midwife and you know, all the things I played Christian hypnobirthing, like around the clock. I was like, so drawn to like spiritual, like worship music, like on my commutes. Cause I still commuted to the birth center there for, you know, the first few months pregnant and it just, everything just was, it felt very like calm and peaceful kind of after that initial, like two week freak out of like, oh my gosh, I'm pregnant. And what's it going to be like postpartum again, but my midwife, her sister actually passed from AFE. She died, you know, years ago, like before she ever like became a midwife from AFE in a hospital. And so she was very passionate about maternal mortality. And she was on like our Kansas board. Like people don't realize this. I don't know. Where are you from, Allie? I think you're from Nebraska. Yes. I live in Nebraska. So familiar a little bit with the birth. We did not have a maternal mortality review board until like probably like five years ago. Like I was a nurse in the hospital, like going to Congress people's offices, like saying, 
you know, we don't even have anybody reviewing maternal deaths right now in Kansas. Like this That's is 2000, insane. probably 13 or 14. I can't No, It would have been 15 or 16, I think. Cause it was shortly after my trips to Guatemala. And I'm like, people are dying in Guatemala. People are dying here. Like, because, you know, I, at that point I was just like, so oblivious to like our maternal mortality rate. Yeah. Um, and nobody talks about it because of course a woman or baby never dies in the hospital, mm-hmm. right? Like or postpartum. They didn't have or postpartum, yeah, up to a year a postpartum. Oh gosh. They didn't even have a box for you to mark on a death certificate that this mom had had a baby, you know, within a year. Yeah. It was literally just adding a box for it to like cue us into, oh yeah, maybe you know some of this is part of why we suck um, in America at improving outcomes. So anyway, she had had that family history and just, you know, the connections. And I just, I trusted her. I was like, she's going to listen to me. And I honestly, I always thought like, had I had a home birth, I feel like I would have been treated differently as a transfer in. I would have gotten the ultrasound immediately. I would have probably gotten my DNC that I requested immediately after. And so like, it didn't even scare me going to a hospital or going and having a, I say home away from home birth because my midwife was an hour and a half away. I was not super comfortable delivering somewhere that I knew would like discharge me within like four hours. Cause I didn't know what it was going to feel like having an uncomplicated birth where I didn't bleed out and need transfusions. And so I ended up having sage in the basement of my chiropractor's house (laughs) so that I could be in this city near this midwife, near a transferring hospital and not have to, you know, go back to the hospital that I had my first baby in and where I used to work. And so, yeah, it was basically the same thing. Super fast. Carried her to 41 in a couple days. No really issues. Like in pregnancy, I love pregnancy. And (laughs) I know some people don't, you know, and they have awful long, you know, nine months, but I felt besides feeling, you know, more nauseous this time and having some anxiety to work through, it really was like a good pregnancy, super fast birth. And we did more active management this time just because of yeah, my history. So like a lot of people don't realize like midwives carry Pitocin. They can carry Cytotec and, you know, Methogen in their bag, you know, have it at the house. And so, you know, we did some IM Pitocin and my placenta came out within five minutes, more intact than the first one. But this was, this was again, the the final part kind of of my healing. (laughs) I bled a little bit, definitely I mean, I don't even know probably the measurement, but I felt better. I looked better. So I would guess, you know, probably in that 500 to like 600 range, 24 hours after I had Sage. So her name is Weiss Birth, Sage Noel. If you look up the, the meaning, that's how we named her. 24 hours after she was born, I passed a football size clot that had placenta fragments in it. And what is shocking to people is, yeah, that would be for most people, you need to go to the ER and rule out any further issues. But I was able to dissolve the clot and find like the placental fragment. And again, it was like that intuitive knowing, like 
it's out. It just is a such weird feeling. Like you don't, <laughs> I can't even explain Yeah, it's it. hard to explain if you've never been there. It was like, I felt like I did after I woke up from the DNC. It was like, mm-hmm. I didn't feel like anything was inside of me. Mm-hmm. And it, it was like, looking back again, I was like kind of achy, no fevers or anything. Mm-hmm. My uterus was super tilted off to the left, you know, and mm-hmm. I've been doing like my funnel massages and, you know, nothing was really coming out, but it was just so huge. <laughs> it didn't want to come out until I was about to go up some steps and it's just rolled down my leg. That can be, again, for somebody that could be super traumatizing, you know, passing that large of a clot, but it again was just like an intuitive knowing of this is okay. I didn't even get an ultrasound to like confirm that that was the last of it just because it felt so different in my body. And then, yeah, I healed, you know, I just focused on my herbal infusions this time. I did not do infusions or really any herbs of my first, you know, more of your like warm healing foods because it was December. So, you know, it fit the season and I just recovered so much faster, was not traumatized by any of the experience. And it was kind of that full circle moment again of like, I had to release the anger for the first birth of the providers, you know, that didn't like listen to me and just then seeing like full picture of, yeah, like this can happen to any mom anywhere, regardless of birth setting, hospital, birth center, you know, home postpartum complications are real. Like even if you were a low risk mom, you know, things happen. And so that's why I really love what I do now is I can just help moms postpartum outside of that, like first two days of being in the hospital and then sending them on their way. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, to wrap things up here, what is one thing that you would leave with a mom who is pregnant now and is maybe she's concerned that she's going to have a pregnancy complication or maybe she's concerned that she's going to experience trauma and doesn't know where to go from there. Or maybe you want to speak to the mom who has now identified that she did experience some trauma and just is at the lowest of lows. We both know what that feels like. Maybe she's feeling like she has no hope. Do you have any words for any of these types of moms? Yes. So if you are pregnant and you just are generally just anxious about the what ifs, I would say for the majority of moms, protect that space of this is a story. This does not mean it's going to happen to me. Like there are so many different things. Like you could overwhelm yourself with all the what ifs and all of the, you know, complications that could arise. But truly, I think finding a provider that you just, you drive with and you can be honest with and upfront with. And if you're getting like pushback in prenatals and like, you know, they're going to do it their way. And, you know, even though my family doctor was amazing, I never like really had any issues with her with my first. It was again, the, the OB that was consulted that, you know, I worked with for years, you know, that just, I mean, there was scenarios where, you know, she was like, that's why therapy exists. Like, you know, I'm not responsible for your trauma like, this is my job. This is how things happen. And it's not my problem. And that's a sign of somebody who has been (laughs) severely affected by secondary trauma. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think we have to, there is like this, this middle ground of like finding somebody that has a lot of experience, knows how to help when needed, like when the intervention is needed versus responding. Yeah. Out of that trauma response of like, Oh, you know, I had this stillbirth. So now I'm going to induce all moms at nine 39 weeks because, you know, of this one stillbirth that happened, you know, in their 20, 30 years and recognizing that, yeah, there are providers and nurses that are traumatized. And I will say if you're choosing a hospital birth, your nurse is probably more responsible for the outcome than your doctor. I'm just going to be completely upfront in that your doctor is not there. (laughs) They're called Mm -hmm. when baby's crowning um, or you're about to push Mm -hmm. to also realize you need a doula and you need somebody that, and I know doulas are traumatized too, you know, but it's, (laughs) it's different than having that secondary person there. I hopefully unbiased. And that's where I feel like maybe I just, it may be different than, you know, most doulas. I learned very early on that because I went and, you know, did postpartum doula training and it was kind of a waste of money and my time. And I was like, oh, you know, you can't really just call yourself a doula, you know, after three days, weekend, little training and then you know maybe four births like good luck like yeah that's all gonna whole other podcast episode <laughs> that <laughs> right. would be very interesting and controversial you can, you, yeah you can, <laughs> you can have me back um for that conversation you talk about but, abortion about doula training <laughs> what other thing oh oh ssris oh boy that would be a yeah. juicy one for um, sure but choosing your birth team wisely and then just protecting that space doing a ton of I did. Like, I think the hypnobirthing like saved me. Like it got me out of my head and into my body when, you know, maybe my anxiety was taking me somewhere else. And then if you are postpartum and you are realizing that there's some trauma embedded into probably maybe some of the depression or the anxiety that you're experiencing, Postpartum Support International is a great resource. They should be able to hopefully find somebody that is in your area that is trauma-informed or trauma-based type therapies. I have not explored their website recently, like to know if they like separate out depression, anxiety, you know, OCD or trauma or PTSD, but I would investigate. Like you could, I think there's databases for EMDR therapists or accelerated resolution therapy and just find something that, yeah will, will actually like uproot it out of your subconscious. And there's, you know, so many books now coming out and authors like speaking of this, of trauma being like subcortex, you know, I, I got to yeah. refresh. I need the, the diagram, you know, of like the brain and like how your body, when it's triggered by something, it's not something you can control. It's nothing a medicine's going to fix. And it's nothing like talk therapy's going to fix. If anything, talk therapy's just going to get you back into that environment and you're like kind of there in that situation again, bringing it up. And then just, there's not really a lot top therapists can help you with. So yeah, being hopeful and knowing that there is healing, even when you feel like you were just at the lowest of lows, there's always a step forward. And sometimes it's just 
calling and making that appointment. And I will say, because of the timing of this, when I reached out to my therapist, it was the beginning of COVID, there was a three to four month wait. And I did not think I could even live a day longer to make it to three to four months. So I did, obviously. But like, if you can just make that appointment, get on the wait list. If there is a wait list, you may be here in a bigger city and there's more resources. Again, I'm in a rural area. So like, we do not have a lot of help, especially like there's nobody that's like trained in postpartum mood disorders here, just PTSD, which we always assume is, you know, war veterans and, you know, people that, you know, we always think like the trauma has to be bigger than what we experienced. And that is not the case. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, thank you, Amanda. There's so much there. And if you want to connect with Amanda, check out the notes below. Her links will be down there. Do you just want to give one quick link where they can find you? Yeah. So Midwest Mama Collective is kind of my, my business. I mm-hmm. do private practice lactation consulting and birth and postpartum doula work through that business. So www.midwestmama, M-O-M-M-A collective.com is just my website. And there's like a contact form, you know, in the subject, you can just type in whatever you are needing help with. I will try and get you resources. And then, yeah, also just knowing Postpartum Support International is very well known in the the PMAD space of Mm -hmm. supporting postpartum moms who are dealing with anything mental health and, you know, they will, they should already have people like on the ground in your area that can, you know, find people that you need. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time. And I just so appreciate you coming on and being vulnerable and talking about this. So thank you again. All right. Bye. I hope that you walk away from this episode empowered and hopeful to one, know you're not alone in processing trauma. And two, there are tools out there to help you heal. You're not meant to stay where you are. There is so much more and there is purpose to the pain. I want you to keep going and searching for help and support because you really do deserve that. If you have not experienced birth trauma and you hear someone who has, would you please send them this episode? Give them a hug. Let them know you're there to just listen and acknowledge their experience and that their experience is just hard. Validate that for them. Together, we can be stronger and we can have better for our births. And this is why this podcast matters so much. I want women to know their options. I want them to be so knowledgeable about their rights and physiological birth that when confronted with choices, they will be able to choose the best one for them. If you know someone that would benefit from any of these episodes, would you just take a moment, share an episode with a friend or leave a review? Doing that will help spread the message of empowered birth. Thanks again for listening and as always, stay empowered.